Hello and welcome to the Photography and Video Show podcast. I'm David McClelland, I'm your host, and this month we're talking to photographer Kelly Brown about her journey specialising in newborn and baby portraiture, as well as scaling her business so successfully. So I said to my husband, I'm going to photograph babies. And he said, you're crazy. There's no money in babies. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I said to the wedding photographer that I worked for that I have to hand my resignation in. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to photograph babies. And he said, it's a fad. It won't last. And I was like, okay. So I had like two people tell me that this wasn't going to work. And I think that just gave me a little determination to push forward. And I proved both of them wrong. Plus, we take a look at Nikon's new retro full-frame camera, the ZF. We hit on some medium format and micro four-thirds releases from Fujifilm and Panasonic and look forward to an in-person meetup. Joining us this month is photographer, journalist, camera jabber, co-founder, SheClicks founder and host of the SheClicks Women in Photography podcast, Angela Nicholson. Hello, Ange. How's it going? Hi. I'm very well, thank you. It's been uh, a busy few weeks, but lots of fun. Yes, it is that kind of autumn season where there seems to be a good deal of launches, lots of news. And I know you've been going out and about to press events and so on, getting hands-on with lots of gear over the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been it's been a crazy busy time, but it's always exciting. You know, I am a bit of a gear freak. I do like to get my hands on to new cameras and imagine what they can do and do a bit of testing. So, yeah, it's been great. Well, let's go into some of your hands on stuff in just a moment, because we want to touch on one of the big launches over the last few weeks, which, of course, has been the Nikon ZF. But first, for anyone who maybe hasn't rubbed shoulders with you at a photography event or hasn't come across Camera Jabber or SheClicks, could you just fill us in, please? Okay. I used to be, at one point, I was amateur photographer's technical editor. Then I moved to Future Publishing, where I Mm -hmm. was the head of testing there, which I think is filled by a variety of people these days, that role. In 2016, I set up uh, Camera Jabber with two colleagues Mm-hmm. And that is a, a website for photographers with news, reviews, tips and techniques. And my primary role with that is the same as it's been since I started in the photographic industry, really, which is reviewing camera kit, uh, cameras specifically and lenses. And of course, I can't help but get hold of a few accessories and test those as well, because they're yep. always really, really interesting. In 2018, I launched She Clicks, which is a community for female photographers And that primarily runs through Facebook. We have a Facebook group with Mm -hmm. over 12,000 members and it's uh, it's exciting. It's fun. We sort of have a informative vibe, but it's always very, very friendly. It's educational and we have meetups where we have lots of fun. And also we have uh, free webinars. And as you say, recently launched uh, the SheClicks Women in Photography podcast, which has been really exciting. You mentioned meetups there. And later on in the show, we're going to be having a quick chat about a photography and video show and SheClicks meetup that will be taking place later in October, about uh, two or three weeks away as we Mm -hmm. record right now. But let us dive first of all into some of this month's news. And well, much rumoured, finally revealed the Nikon ZF as promised classic design with modern features. And you've had some hands-on time with this. What have you made of it? Well, my first impression of it is, you know, sometimes somebody puts a camera down in front of you and you Mm. look at it and you instantly know whether you want to pick it up or not. And this was a camera that I 
wanted to pick up, you know, because it, it looks really nicely made. It looks solid and you want to feel whether that is backed up by the, you know, in your hands, your, the, the tactile experience. And it is. Yeah, it feels great. It looks great. It was nice to see that they've added a little bit of a grip on the front because mm. previously with the APS-C version, the ZFC, it hasn't got a grip. So it's it's a bit, you know, it's flat fronted. So it's um, it doesn't feel as secure in your hand. And if you imagine scaling up to a full frame camera, then it's a little bit bigger. So just having that bit of grip yeah. really adds something. And then it's also apparently the dials on the top are made of brass. And oh. over time, you know, some of that black paint's going to rub off and you'll get a little bit of uh, the brass coming through and a patina will build up. And so you suddenly mm. start to think, oh, this could be, you know, it's a camera that at some point you're going to be able to put on a shelf with old film cameras and maybe not be able to tell the, the, the difference <laughs> from the front. Well, on, the, on that point then, for anyone who isn't familiar, who hasn't seen this, it is modelled on the iconic Nikon FM2, which is mm -hmm. 40 years old, I think, this year. I think it launched in 1983 or thereabouts. And it only came off the shelves in 2001. So that had a really good shelf life of its own accord. And this is a modern take on that, but very, very much in the kind of retro style. You mentioned the ZFC, which is the APS-C version. It's been out for, what, two, three years or something like that. And this is the full frame version of it. So it's it's got the classic retro styling. It's got um, the, lots of dials and controls on the fronts. But on the inside, it is a really, really capable, competitive camera with many of the other cameras on the market right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very powerful. I mean, for a start, it's got the same sensor as the Nikon Z6 II, mm -hmm. which is 24.5 million pixels, which is a really nice sweet spot. You know, it's a good size in terms of pixel count, but also you get speed of processing, yeah. you know, because you haven't got massive file sizes. But it's paired with the XP7 processor, which is the same processor as in, in the Z9 and the Z8. That, That's proper you know, flagship stuff, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And it's got the same kind of focusing system as the Z8. So it means that, you know, you've got all the subject detection modes. Now, so far, I've only used the camera in a sort of fairly gloomy restaurant. <laughs> so I've been able to direct it towards other journalists. And I can tell you that the human subject detection works very well. I've yet to yeah. try it with animals and, and cars and things, but I'm, I, I'm quietly confident that it will be able to deliver. So the idea of combining such modern technology with that retro styling is, is very, very appealing. So where does it fit into the lineup then? Because as, as you've touched on there, it's got elements of the Z6, Z6 II, the Z8, Z9 with that 24.5 megapixel sensor, XSpeed 7 processing engine. But in terms of features, it's also got some, some new tricks up its sleeve, the pixel shift, for example. So mm. For a Nikon photographer who maybe is looking to make the move to mirrorless and benefit from some of the capabilities that this mirrorless format brings, what kind of things should they be looking at to help them grab onto whether they look at the ZF or whether they look at a, I say traditional in the loosest sense of the term, but the Z6 or the Z8 or Z9, mm. for example? Well, obviously price plays a huge, huge part yeah. in that. And I mean, a lot of the talk at the moment is about the Z8 because it really is a phenomenal camera. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of, it's in the upper end of, of the, the price brackets. You know, yes. it's, it, I think it's reasonably priced for what it is, but it's it's an expensive camera. The ZF uh, is a bit more affordably, affordably priced. I'm um, seeing £2,300, including yeah. VAT uh, UK yeah. money. So it's, you know, it's it's a significant wedge of cash, but actually I think you're getting a lot of camera for mm. your money. But I think what you have to think about is how comfortable you are 
with those traditional controls. Now, they, Nikon hasn't gone quite as far down the road as, say, Fujifilm because it doesn't have uh, lenses with aperture rings. Yes. yes, you can set, you can adjust aperture using a ring on the lens, but it's not a dedicated ring. So it's a slightly different proposition. Um, and you can still make adjustments using the command dials if you're more comfortable with that. But if you're only going to go down that route, then it seems more sensible to go for a Z6 II or a Z7 II. That said, the Z6 II and Z7 II don't have the same sort of focusing capability with the subject right. detection as right. the ZF. And that, for me, is quite a significant thing these days. It's definitely the way the industry is going, and it makes such a difference with wildlife, pet, human portraiture. Two things I do want to pick up on, uh, this, picture, this pixel shift, dif difficult mm -hmm. to say, this pixel shift capability that can create up to, I think, 96 megapixel images in yeah. camera. It's something we've seen on other cameras before. I don't know that we've seen it uh, in, in Nikon cameras before, if I'm honest. And then the other thing I want to, to pick up on is the media that it uses too. What, what have you got to tell us about those two? Well, uh, the pixel shift, I mean, as you say, we have seen that elsewhere. And for me, it makes more sense in the, the slightly lower resolution cameras because mm. suddenly, you know, if you, I can't see the, the point really of having it in a 100 million pixel camera because you've already yeah. got a massive pixel count and suddenly you're making 400 million pixels cam uh, images. But if you've got 24 million pixels, you know, being able to create 96 or nearly 100 uh, million pixel images makes sense to me. And I think that could be a really useful addition on certain occasions. I need to test it properly yet. You know, it, it's yes. possible that there will be issues with things like, you know, if, if leaves in a landscape are moving, then sometimes you can get artifacts and stuff. So that needs yeah. to be looked at. But if you're a commercial photographer or, you know, you're doing shooting a, a still life and for some reason you want a larger than normal image, then it could be very, very useful. And in terms of the media, this is a departure from what I think I was certainly expecting uh, inside a, a Nikon camera in this sort of range. Yes, uh, that is one where I think, you know, when, when I was at the briefing um, the, before the announcement, you know, it was one of those points where you stop typing and look up just to make sure you heard that right. <laughs> so for those who don't know, I mean, it has two memory card slots and one is the sort of what you'd expect SD type media, but the other one is micro SD. And we're yes. like, what? And, yeah. and you normally associate a micro SD card with um, drones and action cameras like, you know, GoPro. Yeah. So to have one in a full frame mirrorless camera from Nikon was a bit of a departure. And I, I don't recall ever seeing one of those, certainly in modern times, in a proper digital camera before. And I think it's possibly a desire to keep the size of the camera down. So they haven't gone for two SD cards, but also recognising that people who are paying £2,000 usually want, or more, usually want two cards um, so they, you know, they can back up of their course. images. Yeah. So in terms of the capabilities of, of the media, I mean, I was on a shoot only last week with a pair of Nikon Z5s video shooting just some very, very simple interviews. And it was uh, XQD media that, that we mm. used there. So as we start looking back almost towards SD and micro SD, are there concerns that the media isn't going to be able to handle intense bursts of footage, for example? Or is the fact that we've got a lower megapixel count here counter to that? Yeah, I think it's the lower megapixel count that is going to make the difference. And of course, mm. we're not going to be shooting 8K video. Um, no. I did have a look, little look into it a, uh, a while ago and I couldn't see any massive drawbacks to using a, a micro SD. But I think, you know, it's something I'll be looking at when I'm testing the camera in a bit more thoroughly. 
and seven striking colorways as well. I was uh, I was surprised when I saw that on the front page of the Nikon website. Some bold colors that Nikon has chosen, still very much within the palette, the retro palette, if you mm. like. But I, I'm absolutely a fan of those. And I think we're eyeing the market for one of these cameras. As much as the black certainly has an appeal and will age very nicely, I'm sure, I'd be quite tempted to look at one of the other colors. So I, I, I applaud Nikon for making that bold move. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually put a question on SheClicks in the Facebook group and asked which colour people would go for. Mm. And there was a lot of people who were really interested in seeing all the different colours. And, you know, there was a few people said they would go for black, but, you know, it was quite a variety of of colours that were, were getting appeal. I mean, personally, sort of my head says black because that's kind of got the longevity mm. and, you know, it's kind of would fit right in. But my heart, goes for I forget I can't, can't remember the, t- the technical term for it but, you know the red yes the kind of it's burgundy a kind red. Of very rich red isn't yeah, it I really like that and you know I was thinking well I wear a lot of that kind of color maybe that you know that Fair would enough. be quite good but I also there's an, a green one I think it's olive green which is very yes. nice too Yes. I like um, the kind of blue. I don't know if that's yeah. a cobalt blue or something. It's a, a yeah. little bit more retro than that, but uh, yeah. I think that's probably the one I would go with. Yeah, that was receiving a lot of love in She Clicks. But there was, yeah, and the orange. A lot of people like the orange as well, a bit of a splash of colour. So, you know, there was quite a spread. People appreciated all the colours. And I wonder if actually, you know, people will find it very, very difficult to make a decision and therefore end up going for the black. But who mm. knows? It's nice to have the choice anyway, isn't mm. it? Not the only new news this month. Let's touch quickly on one or two other things. Panasonic has announced the G9 Mark II. And for context here, the G9 Mark I, I believe, launched around about the same time as the GH5. And the, the GH series from Panasonic, very popular with videographers. Still great stills cameras, but very popular with videographers. So I think the G9 was the more stills-focused offering. Uh, the GH6 came out maybe last year or something like that. Now the G9 Mark II has come out. Uh, what have you made of that, Ange? I, th- I guess there's, there's two key things for me. Uh, one is that, you know, the jumping pixel count, so it's up to 25.2 million pixels, which is a significant jump, which I think, you know, makes it more attractive. But the other thing is the inclusion of phase detection focusing. Uh, you know, it's the first stills G-series camera. Is it Actually, no. In fact, I think it's the first G-series camera to have phase detection focusing from yeah. um, from Panasonic. And that makes a big difference. You know, it's 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 faster, it's more decisive. And also we've got the subject detection. Now we've had subject subject detection from Panasonic in the G9, but if you were mm. photographing animals, it just sort of said there's the animal and it might roughly sort of <laughs> select its head, but it didn't target its eye. So, you know, if I was photographing my dog, which I do quite a lot, the focusing could be on his nose, it could be on his head, or it could be on his backside, depending on, you know, what orientation he was on. And now it will detect his eyes, which is is great. And I was I was lucky enough to go to the the press briefing, which was held at a safari park which on a bright sunny day was looking very like a sort of verdant Africa, to be honest, because we were going around and, you know, suddenly some giraffes came over the hill and beautiful blue skies and the trees obviously all nibbled in the same way as they would be in Africa. And it did a great job. I mean, sometimes the, the, you know, the markings of of giraffes, that confused the subject detection Mm. in terms of getting the eye a little bit sometimes, but there were other animals where it was straight on. And the great thing about subject detection is, of course, that the more images that are analysed, the better it becomes. So over time, you know, as firmware updates come out, it gets better and better. And I think it's already pretty good. So, you know, that's, that's an exciting development, I think, from 
from Panasonic. The joy of machine learning and uh, machine learning AI, obviously something the whole industry has been talking about. We've been chatting about a lot on on this show over the last few months. Uh, G92 price tag of about £1,700. And that will be coming out, I believe, in November this year. Um, another launch, though, which is uh, also very interesting, moving over to the Fujifilm side, is the GFX 100 Mark II. Lots of Mark IIs coming out at the moment. Where, do, where does this sit? Why is, why is this important right now? Well, it's Fujifilm's flagship medium format camera. And by medium mm-hmm. format camera, we mean that it's got a larger than full frame sensor. And actually, it's 1.7 times the size of a full frame sensor. It's got a pixel count of 102 million pixels, which is why I sort of alluded Wowza. to it earlier. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it does have uh, the pixel shift um, option as well. So, you know, you can get absolutely massive files out of it. But for many people, Gosh. 102 is more than enough. But again, you know, one of the great things about um, this uh, camera is that it's it's not necessarily all about the sensor, although that is a very significant part. It's about the processor and the speed of processing. And that has taken a major step up. And it means that, again, we have the subject detection in a medium format camera. And so, you know, someone who's shooting a portrait, you've got really fast, responsive eye detection, but also it works with animals and it works with, um, you know, in sports situations. Now, I don't think we're quite there. (laughs) You know, whether we're going to see Fujifilm medium format cameras on the touchline, yeah. I don't know, but it's certainly very responsive. And I was I was very lucky to go to Stockholm for the X Summit at which the camera was launched. And before we left, I popped outside into the Stockholm rain and there was lots of cyclists going by. And I thought, I wonder if I can get some panning shots with this. Mm. And yes, oh, wow, the answer was really? yes, I could. Yeah. So, you know, I just had to, I could set it to, I can't remember whether, I, I think I alternated between, because there is an option for bicycles or um, humans. And I think I alternated between the two and it, it, you know, it managed to detect them, whichever one it was, was selected. And it, so I could rely on that to find the focus for me. And then I just had to concentrate on panning at the right speed, yes. which is, you know, it's quite a skill. And I got some shots that I'm really pleased with. And I, it's not something I ever expected to do with a medium format camera. It's kind of pushing the boundary a little bit, like you say, of of what you expect a medium format camera to be able to do, because you mentioned portraits there. Yes, they very comfortably fit there. Architecture type stuff as well. And interestingly, I noticed that alongside that camera, it's also Fujifilm's also announced two tilt shift lenses for its GFX lineup as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, perhaps the 35mm is the one that most people are excited about or more people are excited about because, you know, that's going to be really interesting for architecture and it has, um, you know, it could be really interesting for landscape photography as well. So it means that you can you can shoot from low down and instead of having converging verticals, you can get, you know, trees perfectly straight. Yes. And so that makes, makes, makes a big difference. And I think the, perhaps the 110, maybe that's going to be useful for still life and commercial photography. Thank you for now, Ange. Time now to hear from this month's feature guest. Kelly Brown is a Brisbane, Australia-based multi-award-winning portrait photographer and educator. Over the last 20 or so years, she's built businesses, communities and in-person events all around capturing images of newborn babies. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Uh, W.C. Fields, American comedian, writer and actor, he famously once said, never work with animals and children. 
So what is it you enjoy about photographing children and babies in particular? What is it? <laughs> Do you know, I think for me, it's that I love the fact that it's so unpredictable. I mean, I photographed a lot of other genres, a lot of other types of portraits as well. And there's something about photographing a newborn baby with their family. Mm. If you're familiar with, you know, having newborn babies around, there's this element of love and affection that families have for this new baby and for each other at the time. And I started to really notice that when I first got into photographing babies and I thought they're so it's so much nicer to be around people that are affectionate towards each other and so in love with this baby. I mean, I've got three children of my own and there is zero preparation that you can have for the amount of love that you are going to feel for the baby that you hold that you've just, you know, given birth to. And so I I just found myself drawn to these families and I found that I was calmer. I enjoyed the process so much more. And I mean, I've naturally always been drawn to babies, but it's not what I've always photographed, but it's definitely something that I've enjoyed the challenge of capturing because they are so unpredictable, as I mentioned, and it's rewarding. Being able to capture part of their personality and making mm. them look rested and comfortable when you look at a photo, obviously it can make you feel a range of emotions. For me, I always want people to look at a photo because they're not in the room. They're not there at the time of the shoot. They don't know what goes into to capturing the photo, but I want them to look at the photo and go, ah, not, oh, that baby looks uncomfortable or, you know, or that baby doesn't look happy or it looks strained or whatever. So it, the level of patience needs to be there to be able to capture that. But for me, it's definitely more about making the baby look comfortable so that when people look at the photos, they can at least enjoy that time because it is, you know, having that level of empathy for families uh, that have just welcomed a new baby or multiple babies for that matter. So talk to me then about one of your sessions, typically how it, how it might run. How do you keep the children, the babies and the parents calm and, and focused in, in what can be an intimidating environment? You know, studio, oh, backdrops, props, cameras, lighting and all the rest of that. How do you keep that serenity? Do you know, a newborn studio is very similar to a normal photography portrait studio. I've worked for other photographers throughout my career. So taking, you know, the whole overwhelming um, amount mm. of equipment that we, we are required, but to turn that into a space that is very calm, that is welcoming and it's comfortable for them. I think for a lot of new parents, you know, they're so overwhelmed with not knowing what to do when they become parents. And, you know, on one hand, they've got this enormous amount of love. And on the other hand, they've got this world that they are completely unknown to you know they they're sort of trying to do the best that they can every day to get through each day on very little sleep so for me it's about making them feel comfortable because when you take a new baby to an environment like a, a studio it's nerve-wracking for them it's it's overwhelming yes. obviously because of the equipment and they're worried about their baby everything concerns them from you know the the cleanliness. So obviously things have to be very nice and hygienic, but also just for anyone who doesn't have a baby, can be it can be very overwhelming for them and can bring on anxiety to go to a new place that they've never been to before. So for me, yes. it is all about creating that calm space and making them feel as comfortable and relaxed as possible. I have like relaxation music 
if you've ever been for a massage, you know, and you walk in and you instantly feel <laughs> relaxed, it's yeah. like that. So I, I have a lot going on in the room. And even if I'm somewhat stressed or anxious for whatever reason going on outside that particular shoot, then I always make sure I sort of ground myself walking before growing, going into the studio so that I keep that same calm energy that uh, my clients need for them to be able to sit back and relax. So the session basically revolves around them and how I can best make them feel comfortable so that their baby feeds off that energy for me to be able to photograph them um, contently. <laughs> That's probably the best word. I asked this question as we did a shoot when my eldest daughter was a baby and I found it very difficult uh, and I'll, I'll be polite in case the photographer's listening and for some reason can remember who we are. I would say it was me rather than them but I felt very uncomfortable during the shoot and I'm pretty sure from the shots that my daughter didn't enjoy it either and no surprise the images aren't something that we really keep or at least treasure. They are on the wall at my parents-in-law house and I can just see in my eyes, and certainly my daughter's eyes, obviously knowing her very well, that it's not necessarily this calm, serene, not a memory that we want to treasure. I just wonder if for some reason, on a day, a shoot isn't working. Maybe the baby's having a bad day. Maybe the parents are having a bad day. Whether it's a case of, all right, just take half an hour, go and chill, go for a walk, go and do whatever you need to do to go and ground yourself. Or if on some days... The stars are just meaning that it's not going to work. Do you know, I, I just love that you brought this up because it is such a big part of what we do. To hear mm. this from a parent's perspective, I love this because what I think a lot of photographers forget is that we are in the business of people. And if we're not taking mm. care of the people that we're welcoming into our studio, then we're not creating an experience that they're going to remember. And photographs take you back to a moment in time that we remember. They remind you of that experience. And you just told me about that experience. And how old is your daughter now? Sorry, how long ago was the session? Oh, she's 13 now. There so you we're go. talking so a good 13, 13 years, years ago. ago. You are yeah. remembering exactly that. And those photos remind you of that experience. And I think this is what we have to remember. We have to take care of the people. Babies don't remember. Like they will look back at the photos and, and look at them and go, why did you dress me like that? You know, what were you thinking putting me in that? And and why did the photographer do that? They, they will have their own mindset around looking at those photos. But as parents, we do. We remember that moment in time looking at the photograph. And I have very similar photos of my daughter who's now 20. And she's got one eye open and she looks extremely uncomfortable. And I just think, <laughs> oh, no, what did I do to that poor child? And it wasn't even me taking the photos at the time. I think what we have to do is is remember that it's not all about the art and we get sometimes a little bit carried away in the process of it and we forget that it's an experience that a photo is going to take you back to remember. For me, people matter the most. I want couples to walk away knowing that they've thoroughly enjoyed the experience. And I found that in doing that, and it's a lot about what I teach, when I make a family feel like they are literally in their home, in my studio, when I make them feel like they're a part of the process, when I make them feel like I'm creating photos that they've had a say in, then I've done my job really well. If they walk out and I don't get that sense, then I feel like I've not succeeded in, in doing what I'm being paid to do. 
What was your starting point in photography, Kelly? And, and what was your journey to realising that baby photography in particular was where your skills and where your passion really met? I actually got a, a camera as a gift when I was married just over 20 years ago. And so I wasn't the best photographer. And my husband at the time said to me, perhaps you should learn how to take a decent photo. So I enrolled wow. in, in, yeah, big blow. I enrolled in a course and I ended up having having a baby of my own and literally didn't want to miss a moment. So I took a hundred photos a day of this this poor baby. Um, we stare at them literally, you know, all day, every day, don't we? Trying to, to remember every little inch of them. And so, you know, doing that, obviously I was learning a lot. And then I remember having the six week old baby and I was off to college at night for a couple of hours each week to learn more. And it was just when digital photography was starting to sort of come along. So I got quite hooked on, on it then. And one sort of thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was working for a architectural company photographing staircases. Just sort of from there and having conversations with people that I knew, it was like, oh, somebody I know is getting married. They, they're probably looking for a wedding photographer. So I started photographing weddings. I got up to about 25 a year. Before I knew it, I had this very busy full-time job and three children under three. So I sort of had to decide at that point whether I was going to keep going in the same direction like most photographers do. You know, when they're sort of starting out in those first few years, you photograph anything and everything. You don't want to turn a job down. I'd been photographing friends' babies, other people's babies, and I, you know, people that I'd photographed their weddings for, they were having babies. So I was getting busier with more baby bookings. And I thought to myself, this is easier. And my clients can come Monday to Friday. So mm. I didn't have to work weekends anymore. At the time, my husband actually was working in construction. So he was fly in, fly out. So he was only home every second weekend and it was right. making it very difficult for me to continue sort of booking at the same rate. And I just made the decision that I was going to photograph babies. So I said to my husband, I'm going to photograph babies. And he said, you're crazy. There's no money in babies. And I, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I said to the wedding photographer that I worked for that I have to hand my resignation in. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to photograph babies. And he said, it's a fad. It won't last. It's a trend. And I was like, okay. So I had like two people tell me that this wasn't going to work. And I think that just gave me a little determination to push forward. And I proved both of them wrong. My husband ended up giving up his job in the construction industry and came and worked for me. The photographer that I worked for, he sent all of his staff to me to be trained a few years after I left there. So oh, wow. I proved them wrong, didn't I? Well, I guess it's a natural follow-on from weddings, at least for many couples. What happens within a couple of years or so after That's the wedding, right. it's the baby. So yep. I guess you're seeing the next stage of the journey that the wedding Absolutely. photography business was seeing. Yeah. And for me, that's probably the biggest reward of everything that I do is that knowing that I get to watch these families grow and that they've got the confidence within me to continue capturing their journey. I always say repeat business is good business. And Absolutely. that certainly bears true there. You have successfully scaled your business from Kelly Brown Little Pieces Photography almost 20 years ago by the sounds of it, to what it is that you present now, which is much broader photography, obviously, but mentoring, training, growing entire online communities. What were the penny drop moments on that journey that have enabled you to grow as a business? It's a crazy thing to kind of think back about, really, when you think almost 20 years. But 
I never thought teaching would be an avenue that I would go down. I had an incredible opportunity just over a decade ago to go and present on a platform called Creative Live mm -hmm. in Seattle in the US. I've taught seven different classes on there now in the last decade. So it definitely put me in front of an audience that has allowed me to grow my online platforms. It's something that I'm just extremely grateful for, but a lot of people don't realize how I got on to Creative Live as well. So that was almost a bit of a, a fluke. They were running a competition and they were going to give a photographer a platform based off this competition. And what you had to do was submit a three-minute video telling them about what it is that you specialize in the area and what you teach. And with baby photography, for me, the focus has always been around the comfort and the safety of a baby. So safety's obviously at the, at the forefront of everything that I do and what most people who obviously photograph babies do. So mm. I did this three-minute video video and Garrett, who's my assistant, and he's been with me for over 12 years. He held the camera and right off my face and I'd never filmed anything. And I literally just sort of blurted out everything that I, I taught in an in-person workshop. I said, no, I'm not going to send it. And he said, don't be silly. And I said, no, I don't think that I should send it. It's kind of crazy. And oh. what are they, why would they pick an Australian, you know, in the background? Because we had zero soundproofing or anything going on. You could hear cockatoos, you know, going crazy in the <laughs> afternoon and nobody likes the sound of their own voice and an Australian accent. And on top of that, I, um, I submitted this video thinking, oh, no way, they'll throw it in the bin. Anyway, I, I got an email and it said, no, we've not selected you in our top five, but we'd like to offer you a class. So I kind of bypassed the judging panel and landed myself a three-day newborn posing class. And I photographed something wow. like 22 babies in three days and broke records on their platform. I think there were 100 and, 110,000 people watching live at one point, um, wow. which for me is insane. Like I'm I come from a small country town where there's not even 110,000 people living. So it was kind of mind-blowing, but that's where my journey sort of started in terms of teaching. And then in 2014, I believe, or maybe 2013, I came up with this concept to run a conference for baby photographers because it was becoming more and more popular. It was called the Baby Summit. So I developed this in-person conference and it became the largest attended conference in Australia for photographers and wow. the audience was 98, 99% women. And so that was again, mm -hmm. quite an unheard of thing. And that grew, um, I think we ran five or six of them in total before it was just way too much, but we did it in Atlanta in the US as well in 2015 mm -hmm. or 16, I can't remember now. And we had 1500 attendees in person for a three-day event and that was quite phenomenal wow. so it's been an amazing ride let me tell you creative live we know very well and uh, we've spoken with chase jarvis a number of oh, times uh, for the photography show describe for us where you're at right now with the kelly brown empire uh, <laughs> what does that encompass you know, it's funny because I do work with a lot of photographers in terms of growing their business. And I am always looking for, for different avenues to be able to expand and, and continue to grow um, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. And I started a, a film and production studio here in Brisbane where I live. So yeah, it's booked out solidly. It's one of the largest soundproof film and production studios called Spine Street Studios. 
So that's part of how I have expanded. With my online education, I have kellybrownonline.com, which is more like a, a monthly membership for photographers who want to basically learn anything from newborn photography right through to family portraiture, maternity, you name it. It's a, it's a really beautiful community, actually, and I'm live three times a week. So it works out to be about six hours a week that I'm live with them teaching. You know, it can be anything from an image critique or to an edit with me or just a live Q&A. It's a growing platform, but at the moment, I'm just happy with where it is. I don't see it changing too much or um, I don't have any bigger plans for it in the future at the moment, but mm. I'm loving it, getting to know photographers online. How do you find balance within all of that? I speak to a lot of people who struggle with balance, balance between the creative aspect of their job, what they started doing before the business side started to become part of their growth, but also in terms of the work-life balance thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe the whole family balance thing has changed to accommodate the growth in business. But do you find it easy to balance these different demands on your time? I think a lot of parents really struggle and, and for any artist really you know we always struggle with being able to separate the artist from the business owner. I, I actually studied business before I became a photographer so I, I had a pretty good understanding and knowledge of you know being able to structure a business um, effectively but having three children under three taught me a lot in terms of how to structure my day and get through the get through the day and I'm a bit of a creature of habit when it comes to that it is very difficult to balance your life when it comes to work and home but if you don't make excuses it makes it easier so I'm I'm mm. very structured and I have to be and it's the same with my business everybody that I communicate with they know that I work Monday to Friday 9 to 3 if they need to get hold of me I'm at the studio during those hours and then I'm at home afterwards I know some people must get frustrated with me, but I often don't pull my laptop out of my bag once I get home because that's my home time. And I don't get emails on my phone. That's also another really big part of oh, being wow. able to structure okay. your, your times. And I have all notifications for social media turned off. I, I'm not often on my personal social media. I'm on there with my, my business page or I'm in my Facebook groups um, within my community, but I'm definitely very, very structured and have to be. Otherwise, you just become all too consumed by it. Well, you know, our business needs to work for us. So we need to structure it in a way that and, and you know, build the right foundation so that it can work for you. Thank you for taking valuable time out of your day <laughs> to speak to us in that case. Kelly Brown, it's been a delight to speak to you and I can't wait to meet you and hear even more from you at the photography show in Birmingham in March. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. It's going to be my first time presenting there and I can't wait to experience it. A big thanks to Kelly. Find out more about her work at kellybrown.com.au. Link in the show notes. And let's talk about the She Clicks and Photography and Video Show Meetup at the Fujifilm House of Photography in October. This is very exciting. What is it? What can people who go expect to experience? Yeah, well, it is very exciting. It's not the first time that SheClicks has been to the Fujifilm House of Photography, but 
we're very excited about going back. So the photography show, I, I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, the number of women who go there has been increasing, but we still haven't got sort of 50% representation yet. So I was trying to think how we could make women more visible at the show, but also make the show more visible to women and how we can encourage more women to go along. And so I had a, a chat with the photography show team. And we came up with this plan, which is going to be part of the longstanding campaign called Women Who Photo. So basically, we're going to get together at the House of Photography. There's going to be two sessions and we're all going to have our photographs taken uh, with Fujifilm ex-ambassador Emily Endine. Mm. And so the idea is that, you know, we'll probably have a few group shots, a few couples shots and then some individual shots. So everyone will get a nice profile picture shot by Emily, but then these photographs will be used as part of a campaign in the build up to the show. And also the photos will be seen at the show on screens to sort of just remind people that there are a lot of women who are really into photography. Now, just to be absolutely clear on a couple of things there, Fujifilm X ambassador. That doesn't mean that she was formerly an ambassador for Fujifilm. Fujifilm X is itself a thing, isn't it? Yes. Sorry, I should have said Fujifilm X photographer, but it still has the same thing. So (laughs) just stick the word. Fujifilm uses X photographer for their ambassador names. So yeah, Emily is very much a Fujifilm ambassador. And that makes great sense when you're seeing it written down. When you're speaking about it on a podcast or on a video, not quite so much sense, but yeah. And the Fujifilm House of Photography, I've not been to it before, but it looks like an incredible venue experience place. Tell us a bit more about that. It's a really lovely place, actually. It's a bit like the Apple Store for Fujifilm, but it's not quite so in your face with the sales, I would say. Mm -hmm. So as you go through into the ground floor, there's lots of, you can see all the cameras and there are a few things to photograph and there's lots of demo cameras around these things so you can pick them up and have a little play. And there's lots of staff on hand. You can ask questions and they will tell you all about it. Then upstairs, there is a gallery area and there's usually an exhibition up there, which is, you know, they've got all sorts of stuff on. Um, It it changes every few weeks. So it's, it's always worth going in and just popping upstairs to see what you can see. And then downstairs is a lounge area and a really fantastic studio. So that's where we're going to be downstairs in the lounge area and in the studio. Now, there are two sessions on the day. So this is taking place on Saturday, the 21st of October. And the mm-hmm. House of Photography is uh, around Covent Garden, Leicester Square area, I mm-hmm. understand. There are two different sitting sessions on the day. Am I right? Yes, that's right. There's one starts at 11.30 and the other at 2.30. I should add that they're just about at capacity. Uh So it's about, you have to book in advance because obviously there's a limited space. Almost fully booked, but if you check it out, you might be lucky and be able to get along. And if you want to find out more about that, then head over to, well, one of the places, I'm sure there are others, but photographyshow.com. And then right on the top there, on the right-hand side, you will see Meetup. There is a sign-up form at the bottom. You can pop your name down, pop your which slot works best for you. And, uh, well, fingers crossed, if you're an early subscriber to this podcast, then maybe you're able to slip in there first. That is, however, all we have time for this month. We'll be back on the first Thursday of next month for more of the same. Remember, the in-person photography and video show takes place at the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham, England from the 16th to the 19th of March 2024. And as promised, we have news. Yes, uh, you can now book your tickets. Yes, the ticket line is open as of today on the website, photographyshow.com. The exhibitor list is up on the website too. 
Delighted to welcome back Canon, Nikon, Sony, OM, Fujifilm, Lumix, along with a lovely long list of both regular and new exhibitors. Also, we can announce exclusively, I think here on the podcast, at least at the time of recording, the show's first speakers. So, alongside the amazing Kelly Brown, who we heard from earlier, joining us we have Sean Tucker, visual storyteller and YouTuber, Gabrielle Motola, gold winner within her category at last week's AOP Awards, Donatella Nicolini, portrait photographer and listed as one of the top 100 most successful women in 2023 in Forbes Italia, and we welcome back Peter Dench, documentary photographer renowned for his candid shots of society and co-founder of the Photo North Festival. Always enjoy chatting with Peter. More announcements coming soon, hopefully on next month's podcast. Remember, if you enjoy what we do here, then please do hit subscribe. Leave us a review. We've had some five-star reviews already, which is great. Thank you very much indeed. We'd love some more, though, to help other people find the show. It's been lovely to hear from people getting in touch on social media uh, and even on a shoot a couple of weeks ago somebody said how much they enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Uh, do drop us a line. The Photography Show at futurenet.com on email, on Instagram at The Photography Show. That works for threads as well and the platform formerly known as Twitter at UK Photo Show. And it's been an absolute treat to have you with us this month. Where can people keep up with what you get up to online? Well, if you go to or search for SheClicksNet, you'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, or X, as we're supposed to call it now, yep. Instagram yep. and Threads. And also you'll find we've got a website. And if you go to the website, you can find uh, the podcast. The podcast is also available at all the leading platforms, just like yours. Indeed it is, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you very much indeed again. And thank you to Kelly for chatting with us earlier on as well. And we will see you all next month. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>